Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Praise God. Hallelujah. I really hope that you spent some time thinking about, um, you know, last, week, last week's message. Um, I just want to finish it up today. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13. The superior covenant, the better covenant. We have a superior covenant. We have a better covenant by reason of the word of what Jesus did. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13 says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. So the writer of Hebrews, first of all, tries to depict to us that when God promises something, that thing will surely come to pass. Hallelujah. Please, guys, can you help me? I mean, it's almost like okay. The writer of Hebrews wanted to teach us something here that when God promises something, that thing must come to pass. You have God's guarantee. Whenever God promises something, that that thing will definitely come to pass. And first of all, starts by giving us the example of Abraham, that when God promised Abraham that, see, I will give you something, he swore by himself, and Abraham waited patiently for it, and then that thing came as God promised. Hallelujah. Then verse 16 now says, people swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. And the idea of swearing is the idea of accountability. In the olden days when people believed in God's, and pagans, they will say, I swear by Zeus, or I swear by Obatala, I swear by whatever, that I will do this. What the person is saying is that, if I don't do it, let Zeus strike me down. Do you understand that? If I don't do it, let Obatala strike me down. But, and this is weird, because I, like I explained last week, because in, in, you know, in, in antiquity, people don't, gods don't make covenants with people. It's people that make covenants with themselves and swear by the gods. But this is God coming down to humanity and saying, I'm making a covenant to you, I'm making a promise. But there's nobody greater than God. So he cannot swear by anybody greater. He is the greatest, maximally great entity. There's no one greater than God. So he swore by himself, telling him that, based on my character, I can never lie and I will never change. Therefore, what I'm saying I will do, I will surely do. Do you understand that? That's, what, that's why he says, verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his promise very clear to the heirs of what was promised. Who are the heirs of what was promised? Who are those that inherited what was promised? You don't know? It's you. Hallelujah. You are the heirs of the promise. You are the heirs of the promise. And God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to you. God wanted you to know that this thing I said I will do, I will surely do it. God wanted you to know that this thing I said I will do, I will surely do it. God swore by himself. The day that he will not fulfill that purpose is the day that he ceases to be God, but he can never not be God. Therefore, we know that what God promised, he will surely do. Hallelujah. Church out together. He now says, verse 18, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. So those of us, you and I, everybody here, everybody under the sound of my voice, <laughs> that's assuming you are saved, right? I assume everybody here is, is, is saved, right? Everybody under the sound of my voice, amen? Who's under the sound? Sorry, is he on top or in the sound of my voice? <laughs> he says, all of us who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. This is the source of Christian encouragement. Motivational speeches will not encourage. Motivational speeches will not help. If you are a Christian and you have the Spirit of God and this does not encourage you, nothing can encourage you. Yeah, yes, sir. Yeah, yes, sir. For the Christian, for the believer, this is the source of encouragement. This is the thing that is an anchor that no matter what happens in this world, it can never change. Any other thing can change. It can never change. 
If someone motivates you and say, you are special, you are kinikon, you are kinikon, it cannot last. Because when you go into Lagos, you will discover that you are not special. In that sense. Someone tells you you are special, whatever you set your mind to do, you can go for it, tell yourself I'm good, and then look in the mirror and psych yourself and say, oh, 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 I'm great, I'm excellent, I'm beautiful, I'm loved, I'm kinikon, kinikon, oh God. Go into Lagos. <laughs> Hallelujah. When you want to go for that job interview, you will see that you are not special. You know, just say now. This is where a lot of existential crisis comes from. There's something I want to teach next Sunday. After this, you know, that, may, that will help. That's where a lot of existential crisis comes from. Where you are shocked by what reality is giving you compared to what you think should be. You have an image of what should be in your head or in your heart. And reality is giving you a different picture and a different reality. This is what he said may be greatly, greatly encouraged. He said those of us that have fled to take hold of this whole set before us may be greatly encouraged, greatly encouraged. This is what believers rejoice in. This is what um, encourages believers. I'm telling you, listen to me. If the truth of this gospel, this anchor of our soul, is not the source of your encouragement, you, something is wrong. Something is terribly wrong. And I understand that you can be badly taught and you can, they can put your hope and people can, put their, can teach you to put your faith in other things such that when the real anchor of your soul is presented to you, you don't appreciate it as the anchor of your soul. But brethren, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Let me tell you the brutal truth. This is the anchor of the believer's soul. This is what encourages us. Verse 19 now says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Hallelujah. Firm and secure. Our hope is secure. Our hope is secure. So I'll tell you, there are all kinds of different forms of encouragement where they come, they come from different places, different angles, and different quarters. Maybe your own encouragement comes from your family members who tell you that in our family we are great. I mean, you know, as you, you, you're a bad person, I understand. See, in our family, our Ricky is kiniko, kiniko. I'm not shaking, kiniko, I'm not shaking, kiniko, kiniko. Kiniko, Don't worry, you are great because in our family we are great. <laughs> Satan will show you that your family is not great. You have source of encouragement. Say, I went on secondary school, I had to confess when I entered university. I came up with two one in, 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 my, in my faculty. They've not given first class in the last 20 years. That's the source of encouragement. Listen to me. Life will show you that that thing's pointless. Whatever charisma, whatever thing it is that you have, whatever, all those things don't work. All those things don't work for the believer. That's why people that, you know, you know people say don't be the ministry around giving hope to people. Our ministry is to encourage people, encourage people and all that. Listen to me. It does not work. And it's terrible because the proof that it does not work is the fact that people are addicted to it. It does not work. So they come to Sunday, come every Sunday, someone, they've told them some kind of thing about God loves you. Kineko, kineko. There's no more they like unto you. After God is you, go forth into this week and do something great and everything. And then the week shows you pepe. And then you go back again for your Sunday top up. And then, because the person is addicted, the person is going to church every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday. People outside are like, ah, this person is a Christian, very religious. You know they miss church. You're What is he going to church for every Sunday? You understand? That's what he's going for. Outside, they're looking at him and they're like, ah, ah, the guy, they go church, they go church. What is he going for? They are clinical, clinical, they are ancient altars, they are ancient temples, something, something. Once you plug into it, you have something in the realm, you're a giant in the realm, in the gem of the spirit. Every Sunday. And you now see the person will be behaving like an unbeliever. The anchor of the Christian soul. Those kind of people just wait till persecution comes. 
That's when you will know. That's why the Bible says that, see, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength was what? People that faint in the day of adversity, the issue is not that they were going to church every day or they were going to church every Sunday. Nothing. This is what encourages the believer. This is the true strength that will stand in any persecution. This is the anchor of our soul. This is the thing that greatly encourages us no matter what happens. Verse 19 now says, it enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. That means this thing that is our anchor, that is the anchor of our soul, is something that is in the inner sanctuary where our forerunner, <laughs> someone that went there ahead of us. That word, you see the reason why that word is very interesting. Where our forerunner, someone has gone ahead of us. You know, you can, if, if someone, for someone to be your forerunner, it means you are coming after. Do you understand that? For someone to be your forerunner, it means you are coming after the person. Where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Hallelujah. Sometimes the way I arrange my sermon notes, it, it, I, want, I want to unwrap it in a very interesting way so that it can be sweet. But when I start preaching, I get so excited, I can't even wait to unwrap it. I just want to say it. Now, 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 now. See, we have a forerunner that has entered on our behalf and is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So, and that is what our anchor is. The anchor of our souls. Our great encouragement is that we are somewhere now. We are in a particular place now. Jesus and God promised before the foundations of the earth, or you know, God promised ahead of time that a time is coming that he will do a work and we will be able to enter a certain place. Being in that place is our encouragement. Knowing that we are in that place is our encouragement. Jesus went ahead of us and because of what he did, we can now follow after him into that place. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. What is the promise? What is our hope? What is the anchor of our souls? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. He says, because, because of this, because of this oath, Jesus became the guarantor of a better covenant. The better covenant that we have is the anchor of our souls. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. What is it in explicit terms? Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. He wants to say it explicitly. What is it? The writer of Hebrews and the apostles say it in different ways. What is this new covenant that is the anchor of our souls? Hebrews 9, verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. What was the promise? What was that hope? What is that anchor of our soul? Our eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Hallelujah. The promise and the anchor of your soul, it doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like it. But by the grace of God, I will help you understand. Because <laughs> I know what I'm saying. Where we are coming from. Someone tells you that the anchor of your soul, what is the source of your great encouragement, is that you have been set free from your sins. How is that encouragement? Hold on. I mean, you are very, very saved. Your salvation has cooked. You already know where I'm going. You already know why this is your source of encouragement. But those that, you know, your salvation just, they just put it on fire. It's just started. You are saved though, but it's just cooking. Hmm. You will not understand. You can't relate. Why is it that God forgiving my sins is the source of my encouragement? How? Praise God. Look at Hebrews 7. Let's go back to chapter 7. Look at verse 18. It says, The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. Of course, we know what it was useless for. It was useless in regenerating the heart. Not that it was useless in doing the will of God. It did the will of God. The law fulfilled the will of God. And the will of God was to point us towards Christ. Hallelujah. It was a tutor and it was a successful tutor. It was so successful that I'm going to use it to teach you the meaning of this new covenant. Now, I'll show you. It was very successful. But what it was useless in, it was useless for creating, for regenerating the soul. Hallelujah. Church, you understand that? This difference is very important too. Don't let anybody use bread and pack all your stew and say the law of Moses was useless. Did you hear what I just said now? Don't let anybody deceive you with lies and say the law of Moses was useless. It was not useless. 
What it was useless in for was that it was not, it could not make you perfect. It could not regenerate your soul. It made the law to be outside of you. It didn't put the law in your heart. Do you understand that? Verse 19 now says, for the law made nothing perfect. Do you understand? Do you see that? Yeah. But for you to even become perfect, it had to start a work. No, let me not go into all that before <laughs> I lose my train of thought. And it now says, and the better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Hallelujah. This is the promise. This is the anchor of our soul. That this new covenant is the means by which we may draw near to God. Listen to me. Without Christ, you are far from God. Without Christ, you are far from God. Without Christ, you are an enemy of God. Without Christ, there is a wall of partition between you and God called sin. That is impenetrable, that you can never break through. No matter how strong you are in your own righteousness, no matter how strong you are in your own effort, you cannot break through that wall that is separating you between that is separating you from God by your own power. You cannot. Only He could save you. Only He, you're strong enough to break down that wall. Only He, who was of a priesthood superior to that of Aaron, I love the way Bina puts it. He said, there's no kind of priesthood on the earth that can match his own. Hallelujah. I love that word. I said, I said mm, amen. There's no kind of priesthood on the earth that can match his priesthood. The priests on the earth, they commit sin. So they have to commit, they have to, you know, do atonement for their own sins first. The sins of, of, of they have to do the atonement for their own sins first. And because of that, I mean, if they enter anyhow, they will die anyhow. <laughs> this priest could die if something happens and COVID-19 comes and wipes your lineage of, of priests out, what thing will happen? What will happen to you? <laughs> you know you are on your own. <laughs> Praise God. But this priest cannot die. He doesn't have a father and a mother. Praise Jesus. And he can never die. He's eternal. He's the kind of priest that Abraham gives tithes to. His kind of priesthood is the one that is greater than Abraham. His kind of priesthood is the one that can bless Abraham, that will lay hand on Abraham. I have it. I said, let me just say it again. I have a big issue with those that preach Abraham anyhow. See, they vex me. It's wrong. Wrong. It's the kind of priesthood that is greater than Abraham, that can lay hands on Abraham and say, receive it. You will now come, 2022, and I'll say, Abraham, Abraham was impatient. It's not your mouth, they'll say it. Hallelujah. This is a great high priest, matchless high priest, a priest without peer. And what he did was that we can now draw near to God. This is the anchor of our souls that we have drawn near to God. This is the source of your encouragement that your sins have been taken away and now you have God. This is the source of your encouragement. No motivational speech will be enough. No gifts that you have in the material will be enough. No thing, no TikTok video you watch will be enough. No legalistic pursuits. No legalistic pursuits. Heard something recently. I'm talking about People going through a tough time and how they were delivered from the tough time. I'm talking about certain principles that you do. I'm trying my best not to make it obvious that I'm talking about anybody, but, but these are the issues. You understand what I'm saying to you? Because if I'm saying it theoretically, you will not understand. These are the issues. You know? Say there are certain principles that if you do, no matter how tight the situation is, God must come through for you. God must come through. There are certain things that if you do and everything, just arrange the scriptures exegetically, wrongly, say these are the principles that if you do it, God must come true for you. People too will now go ahead and this is the source of the encouragement. I did something. I did something. I did this. I did that. Therefore, God will come true for me. Ha! Ah. Hmm. Hmm. You are setting up people to go to hell. 
Because what you are doing is that you are putting people's hope in what is not hope. It's a mirage. It's like, a, like an oasis in the desert. You are giving people a mirage of a stream in front. And when they get there, they won't find anything. By experience, whether you like it or not, you will find that by your works, you cannot do anything to earn God's, um, God's, God's goodness. You will find, whether you like it or not, listen to me, you will find by experience that by your, that was the entire point of the, the entire law of Moses. By your power, you cannot do anything to earn the goodness of God. The good things in your life, did they come because you did something good? You know your sins. Did they come because you did something good? How many times have you tried to do something by your own power and were disappointed? These are people I meet. That's why thank God is God that holds people. Sometimes you hear some things. Remember, I permit me to you say this. This is an example. This is my own example now, so I can mention things. Now my wife lost her dad yes, some years ago. Four. May God have mercy on them. Folks came and were telling them that it's because their faith is not strong enough that they could not raise him from the dead. So it's because I gave a tithe. God must bless me. I pity you. When I'm in a tight spot, I go and do an act of charity. That thing will cry for me in heaven. And God must answer. I pity you. I pity you. Go. The source of our encouragement is that we have drawn near to God. That the middle wall of partition, the stone wall of sin between us and God has been taken away. Now we have God and God is always with us. This is the source of our encouragement. The source of our encouragement is not our works. Even your best works cannot match up. It cannot. God is blessing you not because you have been a good giver. That is not why. Go and read your Bible. He's giving you because he is good and so that you can do good works. I hear what I'm saying to you. There's nothing that you have that was not given by the disposition of God's mercy. My encouragement is not in my, in my speech, in my oratory skills. The anchor of my soul of my soul is not in my intelligence. The anchor of my soul is not in the fact that my, my parents have prayed. The anchor of my soul is not even in the fact that my parents made a covenant with God when I was born. That this boy must serve the Lord. That is not the anchor of my soul. All those things will fail. The anchor of my soul is that God is with me. Hallelujah. The anchor of my soul is that my sins have been forgiven. So God is with me. When I'm going for a job interview, I can pray and I know God will hear me because God is with me. When I'm sick and it seems like I said the sickness is not going, the reason why I can still rejoice and I can pray and hope for healing is because I know that God is in the rare circumstance or minor cases where my sickness leads me to death. I will not despair. Do you know why? Because God is if I wake up, who am I going to see? Why you people are suffering here on earth? Where am I? This is the anchor of the Christian soul. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Look at Hebrews chapter 8. Let me show you something from the Old Testament. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1 says, Now the main point of what I'm saying is this. We do not have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne, in majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it is necessary for this one to also have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve as a, at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So, I want, to, I, want to, I want to just go into something now. So, the physical tabernacle, the things physical that Aaron did, and 
Moses built were a shadow and a copy of something eternal. And God warned Moses that that temple you are building must follow the same templates of what you saw. Because there's, a, there's an actual temple in heaven, the right hand of the Father, the Holy of Holies, that is where God is, where no man can approach, so to speak. That Jesus is seated in that right hand, that place, that inner place, making intercession for us. It's a copy of what Moses saw. Hallelujah. So Moses built a copy of what he saw. So there were many things on the earth in that temple that were copies of what Moses saw in heaven. Do you understand that? So those things that he did that were copies on the earth, we can look at them and we can learn. That's why you see in chapter 9, the, person, um, the, the writer of, no, it was in that same chapter, chapter 9, you see in verse 5 where he said, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Let's read from verse 1. Chapter 9 from verse 1. I said, now the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room, there was a lampstand and the table which is consecrated um, bread. So there was a table, there was a lampstand, and there was consecrated bread in the first room, right? Then there was an inner room. Behind the second curtain, there was a room called the most holy place. This place is called the most holy place, and that is supposed to be where the presence of God is. It is most holy. So God was using those physical things to show them something. There's actually a place called most holy place that Timothy also, um, Apostle Paul came to us to. There's a place that no man has ever seen or will see, right? But follow so he was using those physical things to teach something. Verse 4 now says, which had a golden altar of incense. So in that room, there was a golden altar, a stone altar, and then um, there was um, the golden altar of incense, and then the golden ark of the covenant. So there was the ark of the covenant. It was a box um, with two small angels on it, and it had rods and poles that were carrying it, right? You can read um, um, Deuteronomy chapter 10, so you see the details and the description of what the ark of the covenant looked like. And it was gold-plated. And it said the ark contained, inside of the ark was a box. Inside of this ark, there was a gold jar of manna. So they put manna that fell from heaven that, um, that year when they, were in, um, when they were in the wilderness. They actually kept some and put it inside as a testimonial that God actually sends food from heaven if he wants to. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right? So just to make you know, if I want to send food from heaven, it's not hard. If I want to multiply five loaves and two fishes, it's not a problem for me. You understand? The very fabric of reality is at my disposition. I can just code it and just do something else. You understand what I'm saying? So he put the gold jar of manna there. Aaron's staff, which bordered, was also there. So a stick just began to bring out flour just to show that there's power. Hallelujah. It was also there. But most importantly, or most relevantly for this teaching, he says, and the stone tablets of the covenant. So in the most holy place, we had the ark of God. Also called the ark of the covenant. In the most holy place, we had the ark of God. Verse 5 now says, Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail. Now, let me say something here. Some big men of God have discussed it in detail. I do not feel that I have the competence to discuss it in detail. There is, however, one that is pretty clear that all of us can agree with. That is a very clear lesson. So I'm not discussing in detail. I'm not doing past myself, okay? So you don't hold me. <laughs> There's one that we can discuss that is very clear here. And I want to zoom in on the Ark of the Covenant. It's a very important teaching moment for us to understand. Because I've been talking since about how that your encouragement is the fact that your sins have been forgiven and you're now reconciled with God. It's not getting to you. I know there are some people that are still not getting to, some people still don't understand. Normally, when a child of God hears these kinds of things, it's something that makes you, you understand, rejoice. Different ways. Some people will be crying. Some people in their heart will be like, God, who am I that you came to that you be with me? But some people have not gotten, and that's fine. That's, the job. that's my job, you understand? To make you get it. So we get it now through the Ark of the Covenant. There's something called the Ark of the Covenant I just described now. Inside of it was the Aaron's um, staff that boarded. Inside of it was the gold jar that contained manna. But I want to zoom in on the Ark of the Covenant. So these things were a shadow of what was coming. The time was coming. God was showing us through this. Ha! You know, I told you guys last Sunday that the writer of Hebrews now said that the Holy Spirit was showing through this that at that time, the way into the inner of Holy of Holies had not been made. The, the Lord, through Moses, was showing us something ahead. That there's, some, there's a place called the most holy place that even Aaron cannot enter without an atonement for himself. That place is where the presence of God is. 
And so the Ark of the Covenant could be in that place because the Ark of the Covenant carried God's presence. So the Ark of the Covenant carried God's presence and so that's why it could stay in the most holy place. This thing was gold-plated. It had the Ark of the Covenant. It had the Ten Commandments inside it and it had angels outside it. Just go to the previous chapter. Chapter 8. Look at what it says in verse 10. It says, This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord. So this is what the Lord did, promised, which has been accomplished inside of us. He says, I will put my laws in their... Church, are we together? I will put their laws in their... And write them on their... I will be their God and they will be my what? God speaking ahead was telling us something. In case we have not made the connection yet. The old shows us a picture. There is something. There is something called the ark of God that can stay in the holy of holies that carries God's presence. This thing is something that can stay in the presence of God because for whatever reason. Church out together. Then the, the Lord is now, was now speaking ahead through Jeremiah. Now says here <laughs> that the time is coming. He said, no, the Lord tells us something. He says this thing that can stay in the Holy of Holies is something that has the commandments inside it. Jeremiah now tells us that God, speaking, speaking inspiredly, God said a time is coming when I will have a people that my laws will be inside what? That's why he says in chapter 6 that this is the anchor of our soul. To a place behind the curtain where Jesus, our forerunner, has done what? He has gone into. So just as there was an ark of the covenant that had the laws inside of it and the angels were around it, that's why I said, I've given you my angels to give you charge over. Did you, are you following what I'm saying? You? There was an ark of the covenant that had the laws inside of it and the angels around it that could stand in the most holy place. The Lord promised ahead that the time is coming when my people will be like that ark of the covenant. Where my laws will be inside. That's why he says, look at Hebrews chapter 10. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 19. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters. Hey, tap your brother near you. Tap your sister near you. He say, bro, sis, focus. He's talking to us. He's talking to us. Bro, focus. He's talking to us. He's talking to us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, are we together? Is everybody there? Hebrews 10 verse 19. Please, it's for brothers and sisters. You have to follow because I'm reading it. Since we have confidence to enter where? Since we have confidence to enter where? By what? Did you hear what I just said now? That thing that the Ark of the Covenant could do, you are the Ark of the Covenant now. That shadow that was speaking ahead was speaking about the man in Christ that the laws will be inside of him that can stand in the most holy place. Jesus went ahead of you like a better priest than Aaron. Did a walk and made a way so that just like the... So in those days, people would have been asking, how is it possible for a man to stand in the most holy of holies perpetually? Do you understand that? <laughs> Do you hear that's not just happened now? Because the Ark of the Covenant was not going and coming. The Ark of the Covenant was in the most holy place. There, it was there. You would have asked Aaron there that is it possible for a human being to stay in the most holy place? Aaron said, Lie, lie, don't try it. Or if you stay there too long, you'll just die. But right there and then, God was signaling, Look at this Ark of the Covenant. It has the laws inside of it. A time is coming when there will be a human Ark of the Covenant that they will be able to stay in my presence because the Ten Commandments will be inside of them and because they are able to enter by the blood of Jesus. So normally before Aaron will enter, he will first sprinkle blood for himself before he can enter. Jesus came and shed his own blood and eternal blood and paved the way forever so that the Ark of the Covenant, you and I, can stay there perpetually. This is your encouragement. God is with me. Hallelujah. This is your encouragement. God is with me. I have confidence to enter the most holy place. That means, that's why it says you are now the temple of God. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is with you. 
This is your encouragement. By the blood of Jesus, I am able to stand in the presence of God perpetually. Wherever I am, I carry the presence of God. God is with me everywhere I go. God is with me everywhere I go. Listen, in case, in case you're not yet getting what it means, let's look at what the Ark of the Covenant meant. I'm telling you that just like the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord has put his laws inside of your mind and in your heart. Now you have entered into the most holy place. You have the confidence. Now you have entered into the most holy place by the power of God, by the blood of Jesus and by the work that he has done. It means that you now carry the presence of God. You don't know the import of it. Let me tell you what the import is. Let's look at the Ark of the Covenant in the Old as a shadow. When we look at those shadows, when we look at the outline of what the Ark of the Covenant did in the Old Testament, you begin to have a renewed sense of what it means that you are a child of God now and God is inside of you. You now know the implication. What is the meaning? Kilobade? What does it mean that God is now with me? What does it mean that I'm now the temple of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean that my body is now for God? What does it mean that God is now with me? What does it mean that I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers? What does it mean? Let's look at the shadows to see what it means to be the Ark of the Covenant. To be an entity that carries the presence of the God and the commandments are inside of you. What does it mean? Let's look at shadows to just have an idea. Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. I'll read verse 1 and 2. Leviticus 16, verse 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. So Aaron's two sons, two of his sons died when they approached the, the Lord anyhow. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain. In front of the atonement cover, because I've been talking about it, that you can't come to the, you can't come behind the curtain, you can't come to the most holy place anyhow. People are not understanding. Let me tell you, God is telling Moses, warn Aaron, your brother. You can't come whenever you choose. That was then. <laughs> then you cannot come whenever you choose into the most holy place behind the curtain, in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will what? Church, are you reading it? Look at it. Or else he will what? Die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. So in the most holy of holies, God's presence is so strong that a man whose sins have not been atoned for, you can't choose to come inside. You can't come inside anyhow. If you come inside anyhow, you will die. It was such a regular thing that when John the Baptist's father went into the most holy place, when the Lord fell on him to offer sacrifices, when they didn't hear from him, do you know what they used to do then? They used to tie a chain to the leg of the high priest. Did you know that? Okay. They would tie a long chain to your leg <laughs> when you are entering the most holy place. <laughs> because as a sinner, you are going to go and stand before God. Anything can happen at any time. <laughs> you go there and do anyhow, one funny wrong thought enters your mind. You know you can think wrong thoughts. You know tongue thoughts is also sin. Anything can happen. So high priests will go with the mind of, ah, this is my me are here to be with the Lord. When the Lord, that's why they used to, lot, they used to cast lots for it to fall on you. <laughs> you cast lots and then you go into the most holy place to make atonement. See what he says. You can't choose to come anyhow. When lots fall on you, and just like we know in the Old Testament for the Jewish people and all that, casting lots is not gambling. Casting lots is leaving the matter to God to choose because you don't have control over what happens. So because God wanted to pick, use Zechariah's, Zechariah to bring in John the Baptist, who will be the forerunner of Jesus, God actually ordained the lots to cast, to bring Zechariah into the most holy place. Do you understand that? When Zechariah entered and they had not heard from him for a while, they started pulling in case he had died, because he's supposed to pull back to show that I'm still alive. Now, the writer of Hebrews is telling you that we now have confidence to enter the world. Most holy place. The fact that people have not been seeing judgment 
despite carrying the presence of God and they are still doing evil, is not a comment on God's quietness. God has not changed. It's a comment on the kind of work that Jesus did. Did you hear what I just said now? You didn't hear. Let me explain. People have been asking me. He said, why is there a difference in the Old Testament when people commit sin? They used to collect water, water. That's now. It's like as if unbelievers are doing that. Jesus is very nice. That's why God of the Old Testament is like, say, I pity you. You want to know that God has not changed? You know the proof that God has not changed? Wait till the last day. Wait till judgment day. Then you will know that God has not changed. The fact that you are carrying God, you are now in the most holy place and you are there. The old priest of old, they enter there, they keep atonement. You don't dare. Imagine you're a priest of old and then you just think about another person's wife while you are doing incense. The angel will just give you, say, please carry this one away, bring in somebody that's serious. The fact that you have been living your life anyhow as a child of God is not an evidence that God does not exist or God is just watching you or God does not care. It's evidence of the kind of work that Jesus accomplished on your behalf. When they say that he is the, he's the mediator in better covenant, this is what it means. His work is actually atoned for your sins. The Ark of the Covenant, the most holy place, is a place of holiness. So what it means that God is now with me, it means that actually my life must be holy. My life must be holy. If I am now in the place that Aaron could not choose to enter anyhow because of his sin, how can I, how can I be in the place and be acting differently from how the place is? Church, I get what I'm saying to you. If you are acting too much, like you are not, like you are not the ark of the covenant, maybe you are not the ark of the covenant too. You understand what I said now? Yeah. Yes. If you are acting like an unbeliever, maybe you are an unbeliever. Because what it means to be the ark of the covenant is that you carry the presence of God and there is no kind of evil. Look at, let me show you something. First Samuel. First Samuel chapter 6. First Samuel chapter 6. <laughs> so something happened back in those days. At this time, the temple had not been built, so the temple was still living in, um, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant was still in tents. So this Ark of the Covenant that carried the presence of God was still moving about in tents. So there was a high place, a tent, where in Shiloh, where the priest would stay, or the temple where um, the priest would stay. And from here, whenever Israel wants to go and fight wars, they will take the Ark of the Covenant along with them. Right? So, of course, the Philistines were these... Um, you know, Greek-ish people that emigrated into that area and they were very strong and they were very warlike. So they used to constantly wage war against the Israelites and they used to deal with them very well. So when the Israelites want to go and fight, they will carry the Ark of the Covenant because God is with them and all that. And truly, many times when they carry the Ark of the Covenant, God will prevail for them and angels, angels will help them to conquer their enemies and all those things. But Moses had told them and explained, and explained very well the Ark of the Covenant carries the presence of God. You cannot deal with it anyhow. So, the Ark of the Covenant was returned to Israel after some time because the Philistines captured it initially. When they captured it after some time, those guys were, you know, they were having all kinds of plagues. Rats were coming to them and all that and all that. They were destroying their tumors. People were having cancer and all that <laughs> because of, of course, their, their irreverence for the Ark of the Covenant. And then he will say, ah, that's not the kind of thing that Jesus will do. Calm down. The Ark of the Covenant was dealing with them. And then when they were tired of dealing, of using the Ark of the Covenant irreverently, they sent it out to Israel. When they sent it out to Israel, look at verse 19. The Bible says that, but God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death. Do you know why? Because they looked inside of the Ark of the Covenant. God explained to them, I am holy. I don't behold sin. I am holy. And I need you to get it into your head that I am holy. I know that you have fallen. I want to help you. But before I can help you, you must first understand that I am what? Holy. You cannot even see where I am. 
You need to understand that you cannot come to me anyhow. Moses, tell them, if they are coming, their sins have to be atoned for. You cannot come to a holy God. You will be obliterated. He said, no. Not only will I be irreverent, I will look inside. With your sinful nature, what do you think will happen to you? I am a holy God. You cannot approach me anyhow. Children of God, listen to me. This is what it means to carry the presence of God. The presence of God cannot be compatible with certain kinds of lifestyles. It cannot be. It cannot be. The Ark of the Covenant is holy. If you find out that you are living like a child of Satan, maybe you are a child of Satan. Did you hear what I just said now? Ask yourself and think now. That's why I keep telling you guys, there are certain questions that were not answered in the New Testament because they are foolish questions. There's no answer to them. The moment you ask the question, you miss the plot already. Questions like, if a Christian is sinning and Jesus should come, will he go to hellfire? Yes, because he's not a Christian. That question betrays something. You are suggesting that somehow a Christian is one who lives certain... Go and read the book of 1 John in case you are having confusions. Go and read the book of 1 John. Apostle John leaves no place for gray areas. Whenever people are asking questions about gray areas, watch them. Maybe they are not regenerate. Are you know what I'm saying to you? Apostle John leaves no place for gray areas. He says the believer does not continue in sin. He that is born of God does not continue in sin. He that hates his brother does not have the love of God. That means if you know someone that you hate, you are not saved. John left no place for gray areas. Letting you know what the standard of the lifestyle of the Ark of the Covenant is. Listen to me. Because you have not been seeing judgment does not mean the standard has been dropped. That is a comment on God's mercy. Did you hear what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? If sinful people are worthy of death because they looked and approached the holy entity by looking inside irreverently, and they are worthy of death, what do you think will happen to someone who is supposed to be carrying the presence of God and is living like a child of Satan? When Paul says certain things in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, anybody that, your body is the temple of God, anybody that destroys his temple, God will destroy him also. About rich people come and say no, he's saying um, God will destroy the doctrine. Or God will say anything. Someone said something. You are doing dancing around it. This is where that information is coming from. This is where Paul is speaking from. He that destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him also. I guess what I'm saying to you. The standard of the Ark of the Covenant is high. Do you want God to be inside of you? Do you want to be the temple of the Holy Spirit? Are you the temple of the Holy Spirit? Listen to me. Look at what it means to carry God's presence. Look at something. 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. The Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant again after a war. And then they took it to the temple of Dagon. I'm coming to talk about that later. And then after they dealt with Dagon and, you know, the power of God dealt with Dagon and all those things, they had to let the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God. It was called the Ark of God. <laughs> Lovely. I like that one. Ark of God. Hallelujah. Temple of God. Ark of God. Amen. So the Ark of God was let go. So when it was coming back inside Israel, David had a vision, of course, to build a temple for God. And that was his plan and everything. So they were bringing it back into Israel. Now look at what happened in verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The oxen stumbled. And God has warned them. Don't touch the ark of the covenant. Don't touch the ark of the covenant. Do not be so irreverent. Do not get carried away to think that you are worthy to touch my presence. You are not worthy of my presence. I am holy, you are not. You cannot touch me. 
If you touch me, you will die. Moses warned them. God is holy. Many people don't understand the work that Jesus did. If you understand the gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness, you will understand what Jesus did to bridge that gap. If you understand the gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness, you will understand what it means when God bridged that gap by his sacrifice. That gap is an impossible gap. Impossible. It's an impossible gap. Where God was is the top of a mountain that you can never get to. The gap between us and God in holiness is too much. You can't touch God with your sinfulness. You are the one that thinks your sin is not a big deal. Your sin is a big deal. You can't touch God. You can't. He warned them. He said, the oxen now stumbled. And Uzzah thought that he was worthy of catching God and touching God. <laughs> the reason why we can joke today and say, leave food and touch God. If you crack this joke to Uzzah, Uzzah will be like, bro, why now? <laughs> say, bro, what kind, of, what kind of cruel joke is this? <laughs> verse 7 says and the Lord's anger burned not an angel's anger whose anger? Yes. you ever believe God's word? the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his what? guys read it because of what? therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God why did God strike him down? irreverence who are you? I like the way our sisters spread it the sand, even if the Ark of the Covenant had fallen on the ground, the soil was cleaner than Uzzah's hand. Because the soil does not sin. Oh, you didn't get it. The soil, the soil does not sin. The soil would have been cleaner than Uzzah's hand. He says it was irreverent. The Ark of the Covenant had to fall. Let me you too. You thought we can catch it. Say, your head is not correct. You will see. This same Ark of the Covenant is what you are now. Brothers and sisters, the foundation of the Lord standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let every man who is named after the Lord do what? Depart from iniquity. You are the Ark of God. You are the temple of God. If it was irreverent to approach God anyhow, if it was worthy of judgment, brothers and sisters, remember this and think on this in your conduct. Don't live like children of the world. What they are doing, their judgment will be just. I was reading him, um, John chapter 5 today. The Lord said, the Lord, had, my father has given me judgment and my judgment is just. My judgment is just. Brethren, listen to me. Read what the apostle said. The Apostle Paul will tell us over and over, Galatians chapter 5. He tells us again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, this is the kingdom of God. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Read Apostle John's letter to us. Read Peter's letter to us. Read James' letter to us. Children of God are the ark of God. They do not soil themselves with evil. You have been set apart unto God. And in the same way, your conduct must be holy. You must be holy. Children of God, I hear what I'm saying to you. Your sins have been paid for. Live like it. I have the covenant, I have the confidence to live, to approach the most holy place. Live like it. In the most holy place, you cannot lie. People don't lie. People in the old, if they got there with lie, they'll be killed. If you are now inside there, you cannot do it. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. Are you do you understand what I'm saying to you? You have the confidence by the blood of Jesus to approach the most holy place. Live like someone that is in the most holy place. Wherever you are is the most holy place. You are the ark of God. Live like it. Think like it. Talk like it. No matter the amount of financial pressure in this world, you are the ark of God. I am the temple of God. I will not do something contrary to my nature. Nothing in this world is good enough to make me steal over. Nothing in this world is good enough for me to by, 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 bypass or do any kind of evil over. No matter the appetites of my body, no matter the appetites of my physical body, I am the ark of God and I will live like it. Brethren, I hear what I'm saying to you.
But this is the second part of what it means to be the ark of God. Let's take that same chapter, chapter, um, chapter 6. Let's go to verse 9. Look, this is what it means to be the ark of God. Verse 9 says, And David was afraid. I'll close here. And David was afraid of the Lord and said, How can the ark of God ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obedidom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obedidom the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Hallelujah. This was a Gentile. David was afraid of God's holiness, which he should be, which you should be. You should be afraid of God's holiness. He said, who, shall we, who can we use as, as, as sacrifice? He said, give that Hittite, a Gentile. Let the Ark of the Covenant be in his house. And God signaling something ahead. The covenant was in the house of a Gentile. But this Gentile, he respected God, just like Cornelius. He feared God. Just like Cornelius and all of us who are Gentiles, or do you understand what I'm saying? Including Igbo people, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> all of us are Gentiles together. <laughs> it was in the house of a Hittite, and the Bible tells us that God blessed him. You are blessed. Did you hear what I just said now? Number one, you are holy. The second part is that you are what? Blessed. The Ark of the Covenant entered the Gentile's house. The Gentile was reverent, and the Bible says God blessed his household. My things are blessed. My things are blessed. The righteous like a tree planted by the rivers of waters. He will bear his foot in season. His leaves will never wither. And whatever he lays his hands upon to do will do what? I am blessed. This is the anchor of your soul. God is with me. I am the ark of God. I am blessed. When things do not seem to be working because God knows what he's doing, I am blessed. Everything that pertains to the fulfillment. Do you notice that when he mentioned I am blessed, he didn't talk about money. He didn't say he, and he became the richest man. Did you notice that? Let me tell you what it means to be blessed. Let me tell you what it means. It means that everything that pertains to the purpose of God for your life, everything that you need to fulfill God's purpose for your life, the power of God will always be supernaturally supplied to provide that thing that you need to fulfill God's purpose for your life. Ha! Look at Numbers chapter 10. Look at Numbers chapter 10. Verse 33. After they had gone around the mountain, you know, for some time, and the Bible says, verse 33, that they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find them a place to rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. And whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, O Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. And whenever it came to rest, ah, glory to Jesus. Where, it says, and whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. Whenever, and of course, you know the rest of the story. Whenever the, the people of God were moving, they carried the ark of the covenant, which symbolizes the presence of God. Ha! When the psalmist was going to talk about it, he talked about how, how mountains skipped before them. Listen to me. Because you carry the presence of God, you are blessed. That means that the supernatural power of God is always with you. You are not like them of the old that go in and come out, that cannot choose to come whenever they like. You, you are there. He says, whenever they come, my presence will appear above the, the atonement seats. You are there. The power of God is with you. All the things that you require to fulfill the purpose of God for your life, listen to me. God will supply it. That's why the children of Israel will carry the Ark of the Covenant whenever they were moving. And Moses will be able to boldly say, Lord, let your enemies be scattered before you. Whatever is an opposition, let me tell you what your enemies are. We talked about it sometime last year. Your enemies are whatever will not allow the purpose of God for your life to be fulfilled. They will scatter before you. Jenna just said now. They will scatter before you. You are in the office and somebody is doing you evil and is trying to set leg for your promotion and you are clinical, clinical, and you are forming that it's because you are paying tithes that God is removing. God is not going to remove him because you are paying tithes. Listen to me. Your enemies will scatter before you. Do you know what it means? It means that even if that person is doing you evil, God is going to use that evil to be what will fulfill the purpose of God for your life. Do you hear what I just said now? You carry the presence of God. All the things that you need to fulfill the purpose of God for your life, God will do. When you get to River Jordan and God has called you to enter Canaan, 
When you stand in Jordan, Jordan will part. Jerry just said now. If God has put something before you that you are meant to get into, and there's a big wall of Jericho standing before you, stand before the wall of Jericho, it will do what? Crumble. This is what it means to carry the presence of God. Whenever your enemies think that they are doing you evil, pushing you away from something, they are just doing what Jesus' brothers were doing for him, God will use it to prosper you. This is why Christians don't break in persecution. Because also looking at the persecution, we are the ark of God. If God allowed this thing to come, it's because he knows what he's doing. Do you see what I just said now? This is what we meant during the election period when people were exasperating and talking like unbelievers. And we say, say, Muslim, Muslim, take care. This country is finished. Nigeria is finished. The church is finished. Oh God, the church cannot be finished. If God in heaven allows it, despite our best efforts, that a Muslim, Muslim will win, God knows what he is doing. You think because a Muslim is the president, God will leave us? Will God leave you because a Muslim is not the president? No! I am the ark of God. God is with me. I remember growing up, our parents would say something. When things are tough and all that, and all that, they'll say, the Lord is on our side. Kai! Ah, thank God my parents for Christian heritage. Baptize your children. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> that was just a joke. Don't mind them. I remember growing up, whenever things are going tough, my mom would say things like, the Lord is on our side. The Lord is in control. That's how Christians talk. The Lord is on our side. The Lord is in control. I am blessed. I am the ark of God. God is with me. This is the anchor of our soul. This is the thing that greatly encourages us. This is the thing that no matter if you are going on the road, you wear fine clothes in the morning, the Agbero guy stains your clothes, and you come out and you're having a bad day. This is your encouragement. Even when the guy was staining your clothes, God is with me. You do your half-year appraisal, your boss tells you something, something, something that you don't like and you know that it's not because you're not trying your best and you're not happy. The Lord is. When I'm sick and I'm praying, Lord, heal me and I'm taking my medications, like I said, the sickness is not going. I will not despair. Do you know why? God is with me. This is the anchor of our soul. No matter what it is. You're having a problem in your relationship. You're having a problem in marriage and whatever it is. God is with me. Someone betrays you. You put your trust in someone and the person betrays you and embarrasses you. Listen to me, you have not seen shame. Anybody that comes upon the name of the Lord will never be put to shame. God is with me. God is with me. If I've done something wrong and that thing that I did wrong backfired and it led to some kind of quantifiable suffering, see it as the Lord using it to chastise you so that you can know better. God is with me. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? This was the hope of the believers. This is why Diocletian will gather them and be pulling out their eyes and be telling them to bring their Bibles and burn it and they will stand. This is why men will stand and be burnt at the stake. They will use them for literal lampposts and they will be crying unto the Lord. God is with me. God is with me. Does somebody want to say that God is with me? I am the ark of God. I am the temple of God. God is with me. The sin that separated me from God Come on, say it with me. The sins that separated me from God have been taken away, have been atoned for. God is the of heavens and earth, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the giver of the Lord our Holy Spirit. Father, we ask this morning, open our eyes to see your holiness. Open our eyes to see your greatness. Open our eyes to see your power in our lives. Lord, I ask, do not allow us to be complacent. Do not allow us to become, to rest in the ways of this world. Awaken our hearts to sanctification. Awaken our hearts to righteousness. Awaken our hearts to holiness. Lord, let loving you become sweet in our hearts again. Let loving you become sweet to us again. Give us the righteous restlessness that until we please you, we are not satisfied. Lord, cause the things of this world to no more satisfy us. In the name of Jesus. Lord, as the elder of this house, I pray for your people that you make their, their steps firm. In the name of Jesus. 
Secure the steps of your children. In the name of Jesus. Because they delight in you. Secure the steps of your children. In the name of Jesus. Lord, even if they stumble, they will not fall. Even if they stumble, you will catch them. Even when they want to fall, you will hold them. Even when they stumble, you will not allow them to fall, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, uphold them by your right hand. Lift them by your right hand. Uphold them by your right hand. Father, we give you thanks. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.